Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. My name is Nate Thurston, and across from me is Charles Chuck Thompson, coming in at just below six feet, eight inches. How's it going today, Chuck? Oh, you know, just filling my role as a power forward like most days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's who I am. Well, uh, we, we I was born into it. When we do our 500th episode party, we'll finally be able to measure Charlie and see how tall he is. So we can finally probably still the second tallest libertarian. You're probably still going to be the second tallest libertarian. Yeah. yeah, more than likely. My brother could be the tallest. Yeah, but, but he's, he's not really libertarian. Exactly, we know that's that. The problem. I have passed libertarian judgment on to him, and he is not a real libertarian. You don't qualify. Which officially makes us real libertarians by deciding that. So I feel pretty good about it today. Yeah. Actually. That's what the show's about today. What Are you a real, will the li- real libertarian please stand up? That's what this whole show's about. Uh, by the way, the show is the Good Morning Liberty Podcast. You probably know that because you clicked on the name before going to this show. But if you are listening and you have not subscribed or followed, then make sure you smash that subscribe or follow button so you get a brand new episode sent to your phone every single day of the week when we want to we talk about the news only we discuss it from a liberty standpoint we tell you what's the real news okay we tell you what other people want to talk about is in the news and then we say hey here's the real news that's Mm -hmm. going on you guys want to know real news that's right you guys like the news Mm -hmm. okay and that's what we talk about so i guess uh i just wish the news wasn't 24 hours i know we don't need it. They yeah. just make a lot of stuff up when they do when that. When I was a kid, news was a half a hour. Yeah, I know. That's what we need to go back to right Which there. about just, all the news. Just the important stuff. Yeah, that's that's right. what we need. Okay, so from CNN, fake news CNN, we decided that they also aren't real news. <laughs> I forgot and, about that. I know, yeah, remember? Fake, fake news CNN. Yeah. Fake news. <laughs> Supreme Court. <laughs> the SCOTUS. Oh, I miss them. The SCOTUS has dismissed the challenge to the Affordable Care Act, leaving it in place. Mm. How about that? Are you surprised? Now, what's interesting is I remember how this was the end of the world when Trump had nominated ACB because th- she was going to strike down the Affordable Care Act and Abortion. Roe versus Wade and all these different things were just going to be gone because of all of this. And it turns out, actually, that's not what's happening, really whatsoever no um she actually voted uh, on the on the side of on the winning side of this case right here so let's talk about what they challenged and why they dismissed this and why this may or may not matter the supreme court dismissed a challenge to the affordable care act on thursday in a decision that will leave the law intact and save health care coverage for millions of americans the justices turned away a challenge from republican-led states and the former trump administration which urged the justices to block the entire law. The justices said that the challenges of the 2010 law did not have the legal right to, yeah, I said the challengers of the 2010 law did not have the legal right to bring the case. That's why they dismissed it, not because of what the they case didn't say is. that it wasn't unconstitutional just, or that it was unconstitutional. They, they didn't, didn't bring it forward yeah, properly. They said that the, that the legal argument was, was not worthy of their official vote on this. So that is important to note. Justice Stephen Breyer penned a decision that was 7-2. to two. Justice Samuel Alito and Neil Gorsuch dissented with millions of... This is a quote from President Joseph R. Biden. He said, with millions of people relying on the Affordable Care Act for coverage, it remains as ever a BFD 
and it's here to here to stay. That's right. He said that it is a big effing deal. Mm. Okay. So the justice has noted that there is no harm to opponents from the positions that they are challenging because Congress has reduced the penalty for failing to buy health insurance to zero. So essentially they said that they can't bring this forward because there's no longer a penalty when you don't have health care coverage. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to change that eventually, but uh, apparently that's why they can't bring this case forward. Quote, for these reasons, we conclude that the plaintiffs in the suit failed to show a concrete particularized injury fairly traceable to the defendant's conduct in enforcing the specific provision they attack as unconstitutional Breyer wrote they have failed to show that they have standing to attack as unconstitutional the act's minimum essential coverage provision and that's just because they are no longer enforcing that part of the law so this is a ruling on standing today's ruling is indeed another reprieve for the affordable care act one that rests on the extent to which the provisions its critics say are objectionable and are no longer forcible against them said steve vladek CNN Supreme Court analyst and professor at the University of Texas Law, the ruling means that the justices won't rule on the merits of the lawsuit, but allows the law to stand. By holding that these individual plaintiffs and states lacked standing to sue, the justices avoided deciding whether or not the ACA, as revised, is constitutional, but also made it much harder for anyone to get that issue into the courts going forward, he said. So, uh, in his dissent, Alito called out the various times the Supreme Court has now ruled on the law and found ways to keep it in place. Alito said, quote, Today's decision is the third installment in our epic Affordable Care Act trilogy, and it follows the same pattern as installments one and two. In all three episodes, with the Affordable Care Act facing the serious threat, the court has pulled off an improbable rescue. Alito wrote. <laughs> I love how they like attack each other, in yeah. essence, but they're all dear friends. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. great. It's so great. It's, it's a very non-confrontational attacks because they're, they're in their opinions that they write right. after it, so they don't really have to say it to each other's faces or anything mm-hmm. like that. They just write it in this nice little snarky thing that they have to write afterwards. He said, quote, no one can fail to be impressed by the lengths to which this court has been willing to go to defend the ACA against all threats. <laughs> Love it. He said, a penalty is a tax. The United States is a state and 18 states who bear costly burdens of the ACA cannot even get a foot in the door to raise a constitutional challenge. So a tax that does not tax is allowed to stand and support one of the biggest government programs in our nation's history. Fans of judicial incentiveness, inventiveness, will applaud once again, he added, but I must respectfully dissent. He said with all due respect. He said with all due respect. So he can say whatever he wants. But y'all a bunch of fools <laughs> with all due respect. So it's, now, Okay, so, so I, you know, of course, I need to dig into this a little bit more, but, you know, help me out here with this because what's interesting is the state's do have to increase their their Medicare and coverage and stuff, right? Med- With, yeah, the Medicaid, Medicaid stuff. Yeah. So this is a penalty for the state. So the state would have grounds to bring a lawsuit. I guess you would think not in the way that they brought that, this lawsuit. I guess kind of what uh, that's kind of what Alito is alluding to. There, yeah. Uh, essentially, he said eighteen states bear costly burdens under the ACA, and they can't get a foot in the door to raise a constitutional challenge. So, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, I I think that. Listen, a lot of things the federal government does are uh, un- unconstitutional, okay? And the Supreme Court upholds them all and the, the time. And they uphold them. So. One of the things I thought was pretty crazy about what I just wish is that people would admit that all of the crazy hoopla around old ACB getting in there it was, just, was just media stuff, just crazy mm-hmm. media election it was just election tampering, is what it was. No, not even, not it was even just Brett, election tactics. Not even Brett Kavanaugh dissented in this. I know. One. He joined the majority. I know. 
So look at that. It's it's a pretty crazy man. Yeah, you'll find it's interesting that um well, lawyers and judges is a good boys and girls club. Mm-hmm. And uh, they all kind of protect each other. Yep. Yep. And yep. you'll see the links that the federal government will go to to protect itself. It's amazing. The other thing that I believe I believe uh Amy Comey Barrett said last time they talked about this was that if they wanted the law to be gone or to be different, that Congress needed to change the law, that they weren't going, essentially that they weren't going to legislate from the bench, that this law was put into place and that if they wanted to change it, then Congress needed to do it. I felt like I remember Scalia dissenting on the fact that the way the law was written, that they changed the definitions of some words in the original ACA when they held it the first time. Yeah. You should read his, his dissent on it. It's absolutely it's even better than Alito's. Well, uh, don't worry. I know you're, what you're thinking, Charlie, is well. normally Nate has me read the things that have to do with the Constitution and, and legal cases, but I got an even crazier, for, uh, an even crazier one for you coming up here next, which is uh, it's pretty nuts. We're going to talk a little bit about the Supremacy Clause because we just talked about this a couple days ago, that the mm. states could come in and they could nullify federal laws that were unconstitutional. Okay, and now the uh, federal government is saying, no, you can't do that. (laughs) Of course they are. Can't do it. Just like you can't nullify with weed. Yeah. So this coming from Yahoo, Justice Department, Missouri governor can't void federal gun laws. The Justice Department, the Justice Department is warning Missouri officials that the state can't ignore federal law after the governor signed a bill last week that bans police from enforcing federal gun rules. Justice officials said the U.S. Constitution's supremacy clause outweighs the measure that Governor Mike Parson signed into law Saturday. The new rules penalize local police departments if their officers enforce federal gun laws. Acting Attorney, uh, Assistant Attorney General Brian Boyton said, he's just an assistant, <laughs> said the law threatens said. to disrupt the working relationship between federal and local authorities, they said in a letter, noting that Missouri receives federal grants and technical assistance. Now, see, here's the, here's the key that he said right here disrupt the working relationship between federal and local authorities. As we told you guys the other day, the federal government needs local authorities. The local authorities don't need the federal government. The only thing that they, that they do need is this uh, thing called money. That yeah, they, they, need- they rely way too heavily on the federal government for. Quote, the public safety of the people of the United States and citizens of Missouri is paramount, Boyton wrote in the letter. That's a very strong word letter then. <laughs> President Joe Biden has made gun control laws a priority of his administration, and the House has passed two bills requiring background checks on firearm sales. Mm. Oh, my God. We already have them. <laughs> you know, well, this I, gets away from the, the gun show loopholes. You know, yeah. It stops those because that's, that's a big deal. And an expanded review for gun purchases, though they face a tough road in the Senate. But states, including Missouri, have increasingly worked to loosen uh, gun laws, including abandoning requirements that people get training and pass background checks to carry concealed handguns. Missouri's law would subject law enforcement agencies with officers who knowingly enforce any federal laws to a fine of about $50,000 per violating officer. That's how they're going to get their money back. Republican lawmakers who work to pass the bill have said they are motivated by the potential of more restrictive gun laws in the Biden administration, but state Democrats have argued the law is unconstitutional and have predicted it would not pass a challenge in the courts. 
The Justice Department argued in the letter that the state lacks the authority to shield any Missouri businesses or citizens from federal law or to prevent federal law enforcement officials from carrying out their duties. Boynton said the bill, quote, conflicts with federal firearms law, laws and regulation, and federal law would supersede the state's new statute. He said federal agents in the U.S. attorney's offices in the state would continue to enforce all federal firearm laws and regulations. Now, what they're using here is what they call the supremacy clause. Okay. Now, do we have, uh, do you have the supremacy clause up? I have a really good thing from the 10th Amendment Center coming up here uh, right, right after this, talking about the supremacy clause. So I didn't put the actual one in here. One thing uh, David said in here that is a good thing to point out, and in the law, they basically said the federal government can still come in and enforce their laws, but the local departments are not going to do it. The, mm. So the local departments are barred from doing it. But the, they're not saying that they're going to block federal officials from coming in there and enforcing the laws. But what Charlie keeps making the, uh, the good points on is that the federal government doesn't have enough people really to come in and enforce all of these laws across sure the entire state. And so they need the local departments to do this. And so that's what they are upset about. But of course, the federal government can still come in and do this, I guess, if they are enforcing actual laws. And we just really need this to go to the Supreme Court, who just might not do anything. Who knows? Yeah. Well, so let me just read Article um, 6 of the Constitution for you. It says, All debts contracted and engagements entered into before the adoption of this Constitution shall be valid against the United States under this Constitution as under the Confederation. Now, the second clause in Article 6 here, This Constitution and the laws of the United States, so that's federal law and the Constitution, but here's, uh, here's a, a few very important words, which I think the 10th Amendment Center will go into more detail. Mm-hmm. So the Constitution and federal law, in essence, which shall be made in pursuance thereof. Now, that's, that's kind of tricky wording, mm-hmm. okay? But we'll get into what that actually means. And all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. This is the supremacy clause, okay? And the judges in every state shall be bound thereby anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary, notwithstanding. And that's also very important right there. Um, laws of any state to the contrary, notwithstanding. Contrary to what? Well, the laws of the United States. But what is the laws of the United States? What's federal law? And how can federal law be made? Well, it spells it out right here in these very few words. Shall be made in pursuance thereof. In pursuance of what, Nate? The Constitution. The Constitution. So what we really need. Hallelujah. What we need, which I'm not a big fan of the, you know, the Supreme Court issuing these massive rulings that change anything. But what you would need here is a case precedent that says whether or not these laws are actually constitutional. And so if they were to strike that down, obviously they would be able to get around the supremacy clause. But if they are actually found to be in pursuance of the Constitution laws, then the states could run into a little bit of trouble there. Although I don't know what the federal government's going to do other than cut money off them because they're not going to go to war, go to war with the states. What they do is they take money from them and then they hang it back over their heads afterwards. Mm. And so anyway, but yeah, there's this thing from the 10th Amendment Center explains so it pretty well. The supremacy clause is one of the most misunderstood and abused provisions in the Constitution. Nearly every American will tell you the supremacy clause means the federal government is absolutely supreme in all it does. And you learn that in school. I learned that mm-hmm. in government class in eighth grade, constitution class or whatever, that the, it goes to, you know, your local, then your state, 
then your federal government sits on top and rules all everybody. Man. That totally sounds like something the founders would have I'm done. Pretty sure it was even <laughs> in the Schoolhouse Rock. Yeah. By the way. And uh, here, continuing on here, and every one of them is wrong. It's nice. Uh, it's not condescending at all, by the way. It's just no. spitting facts, straight facts, no cap. <laughs> the problem is they leave out the most, the three most important words in the clause, and this is what we just talked about: in pursuance thereof. Probably the name of a metal band. <laughs> That's a good in name. Pursuance thereof. Yeah. We are pursuance thereof. <laughs> the fact. <laughs> The federal government is only supreme when its actions are in pursuance of the Constitution. And since the Constitution delegates very few powers to the general government, it isn't supreme very often. <laughs> in fact, the people of the states are supreme and sovereign in the American system. Hence the Tenth Amendment, by the way. I hope we just skip over that all the time. Doesn't matter. The people of the states created the federal government and delegated to it a few enumerated powers. Yes, the federal government enjoys supremacy within its sphere, but once it moves one inch outside of its sphere, it possesses no supremacy at all. The biggest government guy in the history of, Ameri of the American founders was Alexander Hamilton, and even he, as big a government guy as he was, who fought for central banks and all kinds of stuff, he explained this in Federalist number 33. Quote, if a number of political societies enter into a larger political society, the laws which the latter may enact, pursuant to the powers entrusted to it by its constitution, must necessarily be supreme over those societies and the individuals of whom they are composed. But it will not follow from this doctrine that acts of the large society which are not pursuant to its constitutional powers. And this is what it's so fascinating to me when you go back and you read all of the writings of the founders is they were very, very careful in the way they, they worded their writing to show that the federal government, because everyone was afraid of a federal government back then when you were fighting for liberty against this massive empire of the British empire, you were afraid of the federal government and judges and sheriffs and all the kinds of people who abuse their power. And so that's why they started with the Articles of Confederation to begin with. And then when that experiment failed, they said, hey, hey, we need to come together and like, let's renegotiate this thing and be very, very, very careful about how we say these things. And so he's essentially what he's saying here in old, old, old English terms is that when a, a group, when a union, essentially a group of a small society enters into a, a large agreement, right? That agreement remains supreme as long as though, or I'm sorry. The laws that that larger agreement has made remain supreme as long as it's made in pursuance of its enumerated powers. If, so he continues on here. Um, but it will not follow from this doctrine that the acts of large society, which are not pursuant to its constitutional powers, but which are invasions of the residuary authorities of the smaller societies. He called them inva invasions. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Uh, will become the supreme law of the land. These will be merely acts of usurp uh, usurpation and will deserve to be treated as such. So he's saying that if you surpass your enumerated constitutional powers, then you're usurp usurping your power. Hence, we perceive that the clause which declares the supremacy of the laws of the union, like the one we have just before considered, 
only declares a truth, which flows immediately and necessarily from the institution of a federal government. It will not, I presume, have escaped observation that it expressly confines the supremacy to laws made pursuant to the Constitution. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty clear. Uh, he does make it pretty clear. He goes on to say the Constitution clearly limits federal supremacy to those objects falling within the general government's delegated powers and not one iota beyond them. When the federal government takes an action outside of its, uh, of its, uh, outside of its delegate, it is, as Hamilton said, void. Okay, so when they're not made in pursuance of the For instance, let's just take one, by the way. Let's say that, um, let's say that Missouri made a law that said that decided they were going to form a state-supported religion, and you were only going to be able to follow this religion. Actually, you had to, and it would actually be the only one that the state would allow to have in, a, in its state. Well, the First Amendment says that we're not going to have an official state religion. And so the federal government would enjoy their supremacy clause when it comes to this, because they would be able to come in and say, even though you made that law, or even though you're doing this, you're not doing this. Uh, our constitution does supersede yours in this fact. Or if they decided to say, hey, we're going to have slaves again, okay? Later on down the road, when it was in the constitution, you could have slaves. Obviously, you're going to say, well, we're going to have slaves again. Well, you would say, well, no. Actually, this is, this is our job, and we've said here in the Constitution, it's one of the amendments here, that you can't do that. And so they would have their supremacy clause to help them out again when it comes to that. But when it is uh, these random gun laws, which we don't know if they're actually going to be declared constitutional or not, we don't really know whether or not they are, they're definitely not in the Constitution. There's no amendment saying that the government should be able to force you to get background checks or anything yeah. like that, then they don't get to come in and say that they have the supremacy when it comes to this. Actually, the only thing we see in the Constitution is that people have the right to bear arms and it shouldn't be infringed. Shall not. <laughs> it shall not. It's, it says shall not in there. You know, it'd be interesting if, if the states would challenge the federal government on its purview over health care. Yeah. And in violation of the Tenth Amendment. Like, that's what I want to see. Mm -hmm. Like, you tie these two things together here. The states have grounds to sue the federal government on the fact that there's nothing about the Constitution that gives the federal government any power or purview over health care at all. And in fact, they're in violation of the Tenth Amendment, which says that anything not delegated to the federal government is left to the states and to the people. I'm sure it's the freaking Commerce Clause or something like that was what they would go back to. Something yeah. like that. Just my guess. They use, it's a catch-all for everything. But I'm saying that's what I would... Yeah. That's what I would attempt to try to challenge now i don't know if it, that it would go anywhere either but but um yeah i mean the 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 founders were extremely clear and they expanded on the supremacy clause because look this came up in debate by the way that's what these papers are by the way if you go if you go back and read them this came up in debate and alexander hamilton was like he's essentially like what do you mean everyone knows Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on. The supremacy clause. Of course the federal government's not supreme. He actually said you guys are a bunch of federal supremacists. Yeah. Okay. It's like, what I'm you, sick of this federal supremacy. What are you talking about, bruh? Listen, it on, it's only with their powers that we gave them. That's the only time they're supreme. Everyone knows this. You should be able to Why track this. Why do I have this? to explain it? And it's pretty obvious in that time it was more obvious because you literally had the states that came together to form 
the United States government, the federal government, they came together and they gave them a certain amount of powers that they could do. So it was more obvious in this time that obviously the federal government couldn't then just magically come up with these things that they could, all these new laws that they could put over all of the different states because the states created the federal government. And so it was pretty clear to them in that time. So well, how are they going to do that? We create, we freaking made them. What are you talking about, man? Mm -hmm. Come on. Speaking of something that the federal government did, that honestly, I, I agree with the idea of this, although I don't like what they named it. And we'll talk about that here in a second. So the federal government has officially made Juneteenth a national holiday. Okay, so Juneteenth is the actual time that the uh, last remaining slaves, which were, I believe, in Galveston, Texas, were told that they were free or that slavery was that basically, I don't know, that they, they didn't have Twitter back then or anything like that. They didn't know maybe that the Emancipation Proclamation had gone out. It was a full, it was two years or more since it had happened, but finally they, they were making their rounds on the horses and they were like, oh, hey, wait, you guys, you guys saw slaves? Seriously, you didn't hear? Let me read this thing to you. And so anyway, that's roughly what happened. That's, mm -hmm. I'm paraphrasing, but that's roughly what happened. Also, okay? this, this would top my priority list as well if I was in government to pass a holiday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, never mind all the other stuff that's going on. The other stuff. But I, I really think that this is, you know, before we talk about the reasons why the way that they did this, I, I don't, I, I think we'll agree. I don't like what they named it or anything. It's a good thing to have a holiday for, like if the federal government is going to have federal holidays, things that they officially recognize as holidays, then this does need to be one of them. There are probably some other ones we could get rid of, but this is a really important day mm. that I, I'm, you know, should have been recognized federally if the federal government's recognizing holidays. I'm, I'm framing it that way. If the federal government is recognizing holidays, then this is a really good one for them to to actually do that's saturday does everybody get friday or monday off now i'm not sure i'm sure they'll work it out where it's like monday off or something that is that is that that's happening this, this week i don't i don't know is that are they actually going to observe it because i know biden's supposed to sign it today some uh wes you were talking about the holidays tomorrow and so i don't know if that means they're actually going to observe it this year with biden signing it i believe today he's going to sign it I so have no idea anyway so 14 House Republicans did not vote to make this a holiday. White okay? supremacists. And yes. <laughs> so but Thomas Massey was one of them. And there's a, pretty good, there's a pretty good reason why. And they, they pulled kind of a dirty trick here with the name. If you, if you ask me, they pulled a pretty dirty trick. But Yahoo News wants to ask, who were the 14 House Republicans who voted against the Juneteenth holiday and why? Now, to be honest, they were pretty fair about it. They put what their explanations were for why they didn't vote for it. And they were, they were actually, they didn't say anything negative about them. They just said why they didn't want to do it. They just reported the news. They reported the That's what that's called. Wow. I was trying to come up with all these crazy, like they asked people what they thought about something happened. And then they, and then they asked people what they thought about it. And people gave them quotes. And then they wrote about what happened. And then they posted the quotes onto the internet and this thing where you could, it's called, po it's a, doing the news. It's actually called just doing the news. Oh. That's a way easier way to say it. This is called doing the news. <laughs> okay, so let's just. Re real news from, from not fake Yahoo this time. Legislation to recognize June 19th or Juneteenth as a federal holiday passed overwhelmingly in the House of Representatives on Wednesday. The bill passed unanimously in the Senate on Tuesday. Senate Bill 475, the Juneteenth National Independence Day Act 
passed 415 to 14. The bill recognized June 19, 1865, the day enslaved people in Galveston, Texas, learned slavery was ended as a public holiday. The 14 no votes were all from Republican members of Congress. They include, and it's a bunch of names where we don't really care. We got Mo Bricks, Andy Biggs. Thomas Massey was on here, so I wanted to know what Thomas Massey had to say about it because I, I, I like that guy. And I wanted to know, hey, what's your reasoning? Okay. So, Thomas Massey argued that referring to Juneteenth as a National Independence Day would confuse people. He said, I fully support creating a day to celebrate the abolition of slavery, a dark portion of our nation's history. However, naming this day National Independence Day will create confusion and push Americans to pick one of those two days as their Independence Day based on their racial identity, Massey said on the House floor. Why can't we name this Emancipation Day and come together as Americans and celebrate that day together as Americans? Uh, Chip Joy from Texas also objected to the name of the bill. said Juneteenth should be commemorated as the expression of the realization of the end of slavery in the United States, and I commend those who worked for its passage. He said in the statement, I could not vote for this bill, however, because the holiday should not be called National Independence Day, but rather National Emancipation or Freedom or Otherwise Day. This name needlessly divides our nation on a matter that should instead bring us together by creating a separate Independence Day based on the color of one's skin. I think that's a perfectly valid reason. Yeah, and honestly, um, what Wes just said, how about just call it Juneteenth Day? Now, I'm not trying to... I, what I don't want to do is take away from the importance and what it would mean to black Americans and that this is really a true... Independence Day, because while July 4th is Independence Day, obviously it was not Independence Day for people who were black, everyone. okay? Yeah. It wasn't. And so I'm, I, I'm, I believe I'm as understanding as I possibly can be being a straight white male about that. I believe I'm as understanding as I possibly can be. Um, <clears throat> I do see, and by the I, I had already pulled some dumb bleeps about this from a couple days ago before I saw these stories and everything. Uh, one tweet that had like 6,000 retweets was saying that they didn't want to hear anyone that wasn't black talking about Juneteenth Day, that this was ours and no one else's and I'm not going to bend on this. And so I am worried that it's going to create that part where we're going to have a Independence Day for white people and an Independence Day for black people. But then you also have to look at history and this, uh, that actually is kind of the case. So uh, I, I really, overall, I support them passing the bill. I'll just say it that way. I wish they would have named it something uh, different that I believe what they would be trying to do is throw some, just, just throw some shade in the faces of July 4th. I, I do believe that there was a little bit of, you know, underhandedness when it comes to that. Now, maybe that's just me looking at the negative side of things. I, th I think that that could possibly be it. So, I don't know. I, I, overall, I think that this is something that I would support, and I hope that a lot of other people support it, because, like I said, if we're going to have national holidays, this is a really good one to support. And I get people voting against it based on some of those principles with the name, but, one, that's not a good political move, and two, I don't think it's... I don't think that ha just haggling over the name is really important enough to chance taking away from that being a national holiday. Now, they also knew it was going to pass. They knew that there was no yeah. way it wasn't going to pass. So if they had any objections, then it's okay with doing that. Honestly, uh, 
I appreciate Thomas Massey for being completely honest because that is a terrible political position to put your in to put yourself in going against that. So one thing that we at least know about Massey is that he is honest and he does vote whatever his principles are. Even if yeah, maybe I don't know if this is one where I'd completely completely agree this time. I don't know. What do you think about that, man? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I think it it should have been a holiday a long time ago. We've we've always called it Juneteenth. Um why does it need to be Independence Day? I, I don't know. I, I think Joe makes a good point that July 4th was the day we declared independence, by the way. Yeah. So we celebrate the day that we declared that we that the Declaration of Independence was actually written. I'm not even sure if, if King George had it by July 4th. <laughs> he probably didn't. Probably didn't. I doubt it was delivered that day. I don't um, know. And so, but, but, um, but anyway, what my main thing is like, I wish we could, I wish the government could be this efficient on all kinds of things. <laughs> like yeah. we write a very simple bill that says, Hey, we want to do this. And then everybody passes it yeah. or, or they don't. I'm surprised they didn't throw in like an anti-lynching legislation yeah. in there or something I'm like that. I'm surprised there wasn't a budget in the middle of this. Yeah. <laughs> that's so true. Somebody got money out of this thing. Oh, I'm sure to, there's money to. attached. I'm sure they appropriated some money for something for it, but I don't know. It needs to be recognized. Uh, officially as a holiday so i think that that's overall a good thing i am i am worried about but but you know there is the actual there is the actual history like the the date that we celebrate as the independence day that was not an independence day for people who were black they were still slaves or in the southern for a long, states for a long time were, after that yeah you were and in the northern states you know now you could make the argument the fuzzy argument that it was that declaration of independence that eventually led to the June 10th being an official Independence Day, because if we wouldn't have done that, would that have ever been a day that actually happened? You know, the U.S., I believe Vermont, was the first official government to outlaw slavery. And, and so would that have actually happened if everything would have stayed the same and Britain would have owned it and they would have owned the whole world? Uh, then, would, then would the Emancip Emancipation Proclamation have happened in Juneteenth and all that? So Ju July 4th could be the first day, but then we could just celebrate, I don't know, Thomas Jefferson's birthday as Independence Day, because if Thomas Jefferson would have been born, then we wouldn't have had July 4th, and then we wouldn't have, so you can just keep tracing that back all the way, so. Joe, what know. is um, September 22nd? I don't, I don't know that date. Man, I'm showing my ignorance here, so I apologize, but. Um, is that the. Uh, or Yeah. Marie says, why not put it in December when the actual amendment was ratified? I think they're just celebrating the actual, because after the Emancipation Proclamation went through, obviously there, was still, there were still slaves yeah. for, for a long time after that, for a couple of years after. It's not like they just passed the law and then everyone just, you know. Or honestly, when was the everyone, Civil Rights Act you know? passed? Because you had Jim Crow laws and everything where, I, I know. you know, it's black a, people couldn't eat in restaurants or sit in front of the bus or whatever. It's a really... It's a really messy, terrible history, mm. you know, and you just got to make sure that you're not doing anything like that right now. And we need to recognize the importance of the day. We recognize July 4th as a, as a very important day. And I completely under, or I understand as much as I possibly can, how important a day like June 19th would be also. So I'm not going to haggle over the dates and, and I'll, and I'll accept the name and we'll see what happens. I have to. And I think the federal government did it. I mean, at the end of the day, I think most Americans are pretty uh, cordial with one another. I mean, 
the fact that the whole place isn't burning down to the ground is is a miracle, really. <laughs> yeah. So so if you look at most people, they're they're very cordial and friendly with one another. It's it's actually quite impressive, um, considering the the considering human history. Yeah. So so yeah, I think um, I think we celebrate both days. Yeah. Yay! Anyway, you Christmases. guys, uh, you guys, sorry, reading some of the stuff in the uh, reading some of the stuff in the private gr- group right now. That's what's going on. But hey, go ahead, Charlie, with the next story. There's just a sentence in here. I want to see if you think it's as funny as I okay. as I did. This is coming from Market Watch. The Biden administration cancels 500 million of student debt of scammed students. So roughly 18,000 borrowers who were scammed by their college will have their federal student loans discharged, amounting to approximately $500 million in relief, the Department of Education announced Wednesday. How did they scam their own students? <laughs> These borrowers attended ITT Technical Institute, a for-profit college that collapsed in 2016 amid allegations that the school used misleading job placement and other data to lure students into enrolling and taking on loans for degrees that proved worthless in the labor market. <laughs> That's how they scammed them. <laughs> That's the scam. They got degrees that were worthless in the labor market. Wow. <laughs> Aren't there several degrees that are worthless in the labor market? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember seeing all the commercials for ITT Technical Institute. Um, what I'm just wondering is whether or not this should just apply to all student loans now. Like, right, right. Anyone, like, oh, they got you to get a, they allowed you to get a degree that was worthless in the labor market. So it's your so fault. We're, so we're going to write off your loan. Yeah. That's like a, that's it's, a lot of people. It's their fault. It's a whole lot of people. Now I they remember, did- remember, uh, we had a friend Jonah who went to college, graduated, and he was a manager at Hollister because mm-hmm. yeah. that was like the best job you could get right um, at that time. ITT did do a, uh, some scammy things, by the way. I'm not saying that didn't happen. I read, I read up on all the details today on it. One of the main things they were doing though, and a question I would have is, would this have happened if they weren't getting federal money? Because the main thing that they were found to be doing was they were fudging the numbers on their test scores and their homework scores and the grade point averages so they could keep receiving federal aid from the federal government. And so they, had, they were fudging the numbers so they could keep receiving money from the federal government. Mm. And then eventually the federal government found out about it and they started investigating them and they saved you know, for profit and it collapsed. They collapsed because of the investigation into them doing that people stopped going there and then they cut off the federal aid from the from the college which eventually just meant that no one could go there because you just you're going to go out of business as a college and if you can't take students that are going to be getting federal money executives took the money and they closed shop yeah the eighteen thousand borrowers who will have their debt canceled had filed claims seeking relief under the borrow uh, borrower defense rule which allows borrowers who attend schools that were found to have misled them to have their federal student loans discharged i didn't know that was a thing i didn't either you should look into that. I, I Earlier will. this year, the department canceled. I mean, yeah, dude, what's, you went to school for all this time and my, you were lied to. I know. You were lied to. You're I, not teaching music right now. They told me I was going to be a music teacher That's, and I'm not a music teacher. <laughs> Earlier this year, the department canceled $1 billion in debt of 72,000 students who attended Corinthian Colleges, another for-profit college that collapsed amid allegations it misled students. So just... Just saved. You were misled. I just felt like it was a bit of a slippery slope argument to say that they a lot. There were two things I read in here. One that they were people getting degrees that were worthless in the labor market. I was like, really? 
Like, it, really? That's what you're going after? That's a bit of a slippery slope. And then two, that they were allowing basically people that they knew weren't going to do well, that they were allowing them to take out loans and go to their college. And, and just, this is a bit of a slippery slope as far as canceling all of the student loan debt goes, because mm-hmm. I feel like that's going to apply to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Okay, one, one more thing here from Mr. Brad Palumbo of the Breaking Boundaries podcast with Brad Palumbo. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. Biden's $6 trillion blowout budget proposal would have three embarrassingly bad results, a study finds. Now, the study is from the Tax Foundation, slightly right-leaning but nonpartisan Tax Foundation, okay? <clears throat> so, from fee.org, when President Biden unveiled the $6 trillion federal budget in late May, he proposed shattering spending records and expanding the government's role in economic life to a truly unprecedented extent. In justification, the Biden administration promised taxpayers this massive expenditure of their money would revitalize and grow the economy. Far from stimulating robust, durable economic growth and broadly shared prosperity, the analysis from the Tax Foundation concludes Biden's budget plan would ultimately shrink the national income by 1%, which is equivalent to hundreds of billions of dollars, reduce wages by 0.8%, and lead to 165,000 fewer jobs after spending all of that money, that $6 trillion. That's right, the president wants to confiscate trillions in taxpayer dollars for a government investment that would leave us worse off as a country. Why would Biden's plan have net negative effects? Well, because despite the president's rhetoric, you can't get something for nothing. Mm. That right there is a good line. You just ain't got to make something from nothing. You got to have something to make something, like my daddy used to say. Um, there's one artist that's figured it out, though. <laughs> the, what's that? I just saw the sculptor who sold... Um, Literally nothing. He sold nothing for like $35,000. Really? I guess it wasn't nothing. He had like a plate or something. Now there's something. See? And it, it was an invisible. <laughs> it's whatever you want it to I'm be. I'm serious. <laughs> it was an invisible, um, what do you call it? Uh, an invisible uh, statue. All things are possible in and the free market. for like 35000 Kind of like the guy who wrote that music that has no notes. <laughs> the Remember minist- that? Who was, who was that? Does anybody remember that? The one who sat at the piano for like three minutes. The song's called Three Minutes and in 36 Seconds or something like yeah. that. And, and it's, it's just li- nothing. It's literally nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some bands got in trouble for that on, on uh, Apple Music because they made albums that were just nothing, but they had their fans and people playing them on repeat all the time. So they were just taking in money from the streaming. Ah. But they, people would turn it on at night because it was silence. And they would just turn it on and stream it all night, and they were making like thousands of dollars from it. Great idea. It's a really good idea, honestly. Really good idea. And those people, I mean, who cares whether or not there's a song in there? You know? There's a song to them. They're playing something on Apple Music. Who cares? (laughs) It's the song that comes to you. What a monopoly. (laughs) The administration and proponents of big government in general often tout the perceived positive impact their spending would have, but they ignore or gloss over the trade-offs and consequences. Namely, this is a pretty important consequence right here, every dollar the government spends must ultimately come from somewhere else in the economy. Okay? That, that's, that's literally something that happened. As Ludwig von Mises famously quipped, the government pretends to be endowed with the mystical power to, afford, to, to accord favors out of an inexhaustible horn of plenty. The truth is the government cannot give it cannot give if it does not take from somebody. They can't give away things that they haven't taken from other people. In this case, the president's budget, it would fund Biden's big spending ambitions by raising taxes on businesses, income taxes, and more. 
So the benefits of new government programs must be weighed against the costs of less business and private sector investment that necessarily accompany them. We talk about this a lot. The government can only spend what it takes from other people or they borrow it and then they have to take it from other people down the road anyway. So regardless, the government can only spend what it takes from other people. Who does it take it from? Does it take it from the government? No, it takes it from the private sector, which is where the most efficient money is being spent, which is where people are spending money where they're really good at making investments and creating things. But they're evil and greedy. Well, they're evil, terrible people, of course. But you could, what if you could harness just a smaller percentage of that greed? If you were the federal government, I'd be thinking, okay, why don't we take advantage of this instead Mm -hmm. of trying to kill these people? Or whatever, I'm sorry. They're not trying to kill them, but you guys get it. So this isn't actually very surprising. Not only does government spending usually just move money from one part of the economy to the other rather than actually create new wealth, it also moves it from the efficient market-based allocation to an assignment based on politics. This is a recipe for inefficiency, bloat, and all the other... Why can't I read today? Maladies. I don't... Brad, it's going to be a stipulation, Brad. You can't put words in your articles that I don't know. (laughs) Come to me first yeah. and say, hey, do you know this word? And then. And I'll say, yeah, man, I know that word. And you can put it in there, man. <laughs> All right. I'm glad we had this talk, Brad. <laughs> of course, don't expect President Biden to acknowledge the shortcomings of his plan. Although the White House's own economists basically admit it won't work in the fine print of the budget proposal. Politicians have every incentive to make bold promises and skirt around economic realities. But taxpayers should nonetheless be aware of the real results we would get for the $6 trillion investment. And those results aren't nearly as rosy as the president's rhetoric. I wonder if people actually realize this. This is why this is important. Everyone thinks that, well, the government's just going to spend $6 trillion. And in their mind, it's like, we're going to have $20 trillion of value after that afterwards. Magically, Mm. the government's going to spend, make an investment and make money off of it somehow. And it's going to be a good investment. They're like, I know, they're like an old degenerate gambler that just keeps losing. And they're like... (laughs) One more. This is the time right here. I'm going to buy. I'm going to buy GameStop one more time. This is the day where it pops. Come on. It's AMC week. We can do this. Yeah. That's what people who think the government's going to make a lot of money off of the investment hand. thing. One more time. I know that they've they've taxed over a hundred trillion dollars without inflation over all this time. And all we have is this lousy debt. But uh, this is the time. These people, this perfect organization of people. Right here in this administration with Joe Biden running it <laughs> are going to be the people that finally take money from me and create more money than I would have been able to create. They're literally, they're just degenerate gamblers. That's, That's all they are. Well, and they can't be because it's not their money. That's true. It's really That's easy. True. It's really yeah. easy to spend other people's money. Yeah. So much easier. <laughs> I mean, you see that in every everyday life, um, even at your local HOAs. I mean, <laughs> there's nothing, nothing better than you know, writing a line in the budget of someone else's money that you don't have to worry about. Um, of course you contribute too, but, but yeah, this is, uh, this is the old, um, it's like the, um, the, the people who are trying to figure out the, the spin, like spinning energy to create his own energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that called yep. again? I can't remember. I don't remember, but it, it never works. Yeah. It never works because it has to come from somewhere. It, it defies the laws of physics. It's like standing in a sailboat and trying to, you just put a fan on the sailboat, a really big one, and you blow the fan at the, at the sail. Some, some people would think that the sailboat would move after that, but it wouldn't because the energy that's being pushed towards the actual sail, uh, by the way, is going to be less than the energy 
that is being pushed backwards by the fan that's making the air mm-hmm. because some of the air is going to dissipate out into the out into the the atmosphere mm-hmm. and it's not going to be enough to push the boat forward and actually that wouldn't work anyway even if it wasn't dissipating you can't just put a fan on a sailboat and make it go just like you can't create an electric car that charges itself while it's driving it, it can't everyone thinks that you would be able to do that but you can't because you can't create more energy than you're expending and that's totally that's why even example. though you have an alternator you still have to char- you still have to get a new battery one <laughs> every once yeah, in a every while once in a while that's probably more problems with the uh the nickel whatever i don't know anything about batteries i was gonna make <laughs> up a bunch of stuff i saw someone breaking bad about how to make a battery that was it yeah so <laughs> remember when they were stuck yeah. and they had to make that battery? you went to itt technical institute didn't you? i did man i'm pretty <laughs> pumped i have no more debt it's awesome i'm yeah. glad you got that forgiven because man it's not helping <laughs> All right. Anyway, let's go. Anyway, that about wraps up the show. Government just doing government things. And of course, this is how it leads to, uh, you know, $25 million lobster dinners at the White House. Or um, what was it? $1,200 coffee cups that keep your coffee warm. <laughs> yeah. You know, those are good investments. $700 toilet seat covers. And you know, if you just people- break that coffee cup, that's good for the, the, that's good for the overall economy because then you get to pay someone to make another $1,200 exactly. coffee cup. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And that's the way it works, you mm-hmm. know? Especially, you know, you don't want people in the military taking a shit without those toilet seat covers. I mean, no, they deserve really good toilet seat covers. Yeah, they yeah. do. It's more, usually, the, if you spend more on your toilet seat cover than you did on your toilet, then you're winning. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. What those gold plated Trump covers? We need to find some of those. I'm tasking you with finding some of those contracts, by the way. I'll yeah. make toilet seat covers, <laughs> I'll make coffee cups. We'll figure out all those things. Anyway, if you guys enjoyed today's show, which I know you did, then you should share it around with the folks. Get one of those boom boxes and walk through the mall. They still have malls. People, I don't think people go to malls anymore. Really. Um, oh, I Opry went, land here. And I went Nashville to Opry a big one. not too long ago. And which, now I have things I need to return. I'm like, when the heck am I going to go back to Opry Mills? Never. That's the problem. You said, you said Opry Unless Land, you, which used to be a theme park. It was oh, out there where the mall is. Opry Mills Mall, if you want to go. <laughs> I just go down there to the Bass Pro Shop, man, look at the boats and yeah. dream about one day being evil and greedy enough to have one. <laughs> and uh, I don't, I really don't fish all that often, but I don't hate fishing. Anyway, share it with all your friends <laughs> at the local Bass Pro Shop if you got one. And if you don't, then blast it in your car as you're driving down the street. Share it with your friends, your family, and the children. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Go to patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty. Be part of the show and hang out with us. Send us messages. and I've been a little distracted because I've been reading. Literally be a part of the show. I mean, that's how you be a part of the show. It's only five bucks a month. Come on, you can do it. And uh, then mastermystocks.com if you want to know anything about the stock market and what's going to be happening. You know, the lumber prices, housing prices are all going crazy. The stock market's making new highs. The Fed just said that they're going to uh, slash rates or, or basically keep rates at zero and then raise them in 2023. So mm-hmm. if you guys want to know about all of that and figure out what's going on with your financials. That's the place to do that. And if you do all of those things, then tomorrow we'll be back with dumb bleep, the best episode of the week for everyone. This is just going to change the name of the show to dumb bleep. Mm-hmm. So tomorrow's dumb bleep. We'll be back again. I hope you guys have a good day and a good morning. Liberty. Stay classy.